Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. All right, well, I get to bring the scripture this morning. We've got kind of a long section, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through the end of the chapter. So if you'd like to turn there, it is page 990 in the Pew Bible. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who, had, who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Well, I loved hearing the sounds when Amy started reading of everybody turning in their Bibles to to Mark chapter 1. That's where we'll be this morning, uh, continuing our series through uh, this this book of the Bible. Um, We've called the series Follow the King, because here in the Gospel of Matthew, the especially the first half of the Gospel of Matthew, the the main idea is that Jesus is the king with all authority. Uh, And the second uh, main idea from from Mark is that uh, 
we should follow him. <laughs> that because he has all the authority and because he's the king is that we should set up our lives to follow him. So uh, that's what we're, we're talking about. We looked at following Jesus a lot yesterday or yesterweek, last Sunday. And uh, we're kind of continuing that idea. And the main idea this morning is that we are invited to be apprentices of the compassionate king. Apprentices of the compassionate king. Uh, let me just stop uh, real quick and pray briefly before we dive in uh, to, to this idea. Oh, Father, would you be near to us, have mercy on us this morning as we gather and open ourselves to your word uh, to see Jesus, our King, as you have uh, ordained to reveal him to us in your word. Would you uh, just give us ears to hear by the power of the Spirit what you would have for us to, uh, to know, uh, to respond to, and will we ultimately just feel your love as we behold Jesus in his name, amen. Well, the three kind of main words in that sentence are the three themes we see all throughout our text today, uh, apprentices, uh, compassion, and king. Uh, so the first theme is authority, uh, or Jesus's kingly authority, uh, where we see that he, the first thing he did last week was to use his authority to call people to follow him. And in this week, Mark is doing this like montage. If you imagine like a Rocky, a Rocky movie where there's a montage of all these glimpses of action sequences that are showing us new things. It's scene after scene, uh, Mark is showing us new areas, new realms where Jesus's authority extends to. And then the second theme is uh, apprenticeship. Uh, Jesus already called some, some guys to follow him, uh, to be his disciples. And as we talked about extensively last week, uh, a better term, a, a term that would make in English that would be closer to what Jesus had in mind is this idea of apprenticeship. It, being a disciple of Jesus is more like being in a, an apprentice of an electrician. It was more than just coming to church uh, on Sunday morning or meeting one-on-one -on -one with an older person to go through a workbook or even taking classes, though all that stuff is very good and helpful uh, when it comes to discipleship. But instead, it's like what an apprentice to an electrician would do, uh, which he, that apprentice might learn how electricity works and learn all, all the details of that. But then the real bread and butter of being an apprentice is gonna be what? Going to work with a master electrician, observing what he does, asking lots of questions, observing uh, how he interacts with different situations. And the goal being not to just know information about electricity, but to be an electrician yourself, to be able to do what the master electrician's doing. And that's, that's what Jesus is calling uh, the, the men in this, uh, in this book to do, and that's what he's calling all of us to do. And so right after being called, Jesus then takes these four men, his first four apprentices, uh, on, on some, somewhat of a whirlwind of a first day on the job. Uh, we see about a 24-hour period in the life of Jesus in the, in the verses that Amy just read for us. It begins on Saturday morning, the Jewish Sabbath in the synagogue, and it ends on a Sunday out uh, in the wilderness and, and on the road. And there's just a lot to chew on, a lot to enter into with our imaginations, imagining ourselves being with Jesus as his apprentices in these uh, 24, uh, 24 hours. And then the, the next theme is his uh, compassion, I'm sorry, before we get to compassion. Uh, and so as we, we read uh, about his apprentices and what Jesus is doing, we can kind of ask these questions, like what can we learn 
from Jesus and, and imitate what were his life rhythms and why were those what the rhythms, the habits that Jesus did. And then we can reflect on our own lives. What part of my life rhythms are aligned with Jesus's life rhythms and which ones are not? Is there difference from how I live and how Jesus lives? As the saying goes, you can't have the life of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. And uh, the longer I'm a pastor, I think a lot of our problems that we face in life are because we, we might've embraced some of Jesus's way of life, but not all of it. In other areas of our life, we're still living according to what the world says we should be doing or the world says is normal and not bringing that aligned to our King. And when, when that happens, things get out of whack. And the last theme is compassion. It is so significant that our king, the king of kings, the, the Lord of lords with all authority in heaven and on earth uh, ordains to be tender in compassion towards broken people on the earth. That he's receptive to people and patient and kind. So those three themes in mind, let's dive in. Verse 21 and two. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So first we see Jesus's authority front and center and he uses it to teach the Bible. He goes to church and begins teaching the Bible in such a way that people are amazed. Jesus stands out and blows people's mind. Why? Because it's God in the flesh opening up God's word. It's the word made flesh reading and teaching the word of God. Jesus doesn't have to quote C.S. Lewis or Dallas Willard or Bible commentators. Why? Because he is the word made flesh. He, he, he can just say what it is. Verse 23 just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Jesus commands this impure spirit with just a few simple words. When you look at the teachings of scripture about spiritual warfare, it's pretty scary. If you were to like line them all up, uh, it, the Bible is very blunt that there is a, a spiritual realm that is full of good, that is full of God and his min, uh, ministers, and then also the enemy. And the Bible uses words like, you know, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil. And in the midst of this scary reality of this realm of evil, Mark is showing us that Jesus has absolute authority over spiritual forces of evil. It's not a struggle. It's not a debate. If you look at uh, rabbinic writings from this time, there was volume after volume of, of methods and words to say to try to conquer unclean spirits that, that different rabbis would try to do in exorcisms. Uh, but Jesus doesn't use any of those volumes of words towards demons. What does he say? He just says, be quiet. Just come out of him, a simple command. It's not like Harry Potter where he's like counterspell and, and you know, using all this hype to get the demon. He just simply says a few words 
and the, the impure spirit has to obey him. These spirits who are Jesus' enemies hate him, don't want to obey him, but they have to. Why? Because he has all authority. They cannot resist the authority of the king. One day, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Whether someone likes it or not, that is how the story ends. Jesus as the undeniable, victorious king over everything. And that astounds people who, who might have seen rabbis, maybe successfully, maybe unsuccessfully, with fancy, powerful language, tried to cast out demons. And here Jesus just says, be quiet. Now, from an apprenticeship aspect, consider this passage. What is the first thing that Jesus does? The, the hot new take that, that Jesus does with his disciples. He takes them to church and reads them the Bible. One of the main takeaways I hope that we see today in this 24 hours with Jesus is how incredibly ordinary Jesus's plan of action is. He calls some apprentices and then he takes them to church and he teaches them the Bible. There are some extraordinary miracles as we just read and more to come, but all of those are interruptions to this very ordinary way of life, going to gather with God's people, reading the Bible. And we just have to, we have to consider how incredibly significant it is that Jesus, God in the flesh, came to earth and was so about the Bible, so about this book. It's one of the most evident, incredible pieces of evidence for the importance of scripture is how much Jesus himself knew it, used it, quoted it, referenced it, explained it. Following the king means that we are immersed in the scriptures, that we let them define our reality more than CNN or Fox News or whatever that rant from your semi-racist friend from high school put on your Facebook post or, or whatever. Like, do we have scripture filling our minds? Like, yes, I'm talking about a quiet time in the morning, but this is more than like a one-pager devotional. This is where like our defining narrative, the, the, the lens by which we understand reality is the story God tells in the scriptures. The next thing we see as apprentices is that Jesus was practicing the Sabbath and gathering with God's people, which you guys are doing right here. You guys are all practicing the way of Jesus right here as you join with God's people in a worship gathering one day a week. Now, as we'll see, Jesus didn't follow all some of the bonus man-made laws around the Sabbath, but as far as we know, every week he was gathering with God's people in a place of worship and resting. How might, why would he have done that? Like he's God, why did he need to do that? But consider the impact that would be on his soul to, to have a day where he's resting, a day where he's with other people who believe similarly and to experience the Father's love. We also see Jesus's compassion in casting out the demon. Jesus uses his authority to deliver this man from an impure spirit. And in other passages where it talks about delivering people from demonic influence, it uses the term of freeing them, releasing them from bondage, loosening their bonds. And this shows us something very uh, profound about authority. There's a type of authority that chains you and drains you, and there's a type of authority that can set you free. Like think of the authority of a good parent. If you're, you're a good parent, you're not out to squash your kids with your authority over their lives, but instead you use your dramatically greater wisdom, experience, and authority to create space for your kids to thrive, to have, 
uh, to have an abundant life. And that's what we see Jesus doing in his compassion combined with his authority. We see more authority next in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went, he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Here we see that Jesus has authority over creation, specifically sickness and disease, specifically our, our bodies. The effects of sin and brokenness of creation do not stand up to the power of Jesus' renewing and healing authority. There's this great line from the, the book, The Lord of the Rings, in the, 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 third, uh, the third volume of that book, uh, in The Return of the King, it says, as the wounded grow steadily sicker from the poison of the enemy's weapons, one of the city's nurses recalls a legend which says, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. I love that, because we don't often think of kings and healers in the same category. You know, kings are strong and powerful, and they run with the warriors on stallions, and healers are tender, quiet nurturers. But here we see Jesus is both. Healing flows from Jesus's authority as the king of the universe because he's good and his authority makes all things new. And we see his compassion as he heals the mother-in-law. She's sick. And back then fevers would have been a lot more uh, life-threatening than they, they are in our day and age. And he takes her by the hand and heals her. And just put yourself as a disciple in, in the room, in the room of a sick mother-in-law Jesus sits down on the bed, the alpha and the omega, the king of kings, takes this frail woman's hands and relieves her of her pain. His, his compassion extends to the sick, to the weak, to the dying. And then his compassion extends to, to the whole town. The Jewish Sabbath would have gone from <clears throat> Friday evening to Saturday evening. And so, which is why it says at sunset, at sundown on Saturday, everybody shows up to get healed by Jesus. They were like, they're waiting for the Sabbath to be over. And then they wanted to go get healing and deliverance. And again, just imagine the scene. Imagine Jesus standing at the door while this crowd of broken, sick, deranged, unhealthy people come. The, the sky still orange from the recently setting sun. And Jesus looking at person after person, late into the night, what do you want me to do for you? What brings you here? How can, I, how can I help you? And he brings freedom. It's our compassionate king. The next section has a lot to tell us as apprentices. Look at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So Jesus healed people late into the night, and then what? Vegged with a TV show, and then slept in late the next day. No, he got up early to pray. And it's, I wanna, I, and I, it's very important, I think we see this the way it, it was for Jesus. Because Jesus was tired. Jesus got tired. We see that all throughout the Gospels. 
And the way that he was refreshed was through time alone in the solitary place, time alone with his father. So sometimes, depending on your church background, you would read this and like, you know, see that Jesus, yeah, he was really tired, but he still got his quiet time in. He still wrote, rise and grind, gotta, you know, gotta get the, the Bible reading plan done. But no, instead see Jesus being tired, weary from heavy ministry and going out to be alone in the quiet because he needed the Father's love to fill him up. What if our time with God was a place where we were restored, where we were refreshed, that we, that we crawled to on our bellies because we were so zonked from life and were filled up? And this fueled his ministry. Uh, Pete Scazzaro has this line, uh, that I like. It says, our doing for God must flow out of our being with God. We know that there are more people to heal. There's more work for Jesus to do, but instead of doing everything all the time, we see the importance for Jesus to stop and be with God. I've been in ministry long enough to, to rub shoulders with people who are doing an incredible amount of things for God. They're incredibly busy doing things for God, but when you actually sit to, down to talk with them, you know, it just kind of feels hollow and like it doesn't have substance because it's not coming from a place of deep abiding in Jesus. Instead, it's kind of this anxious activity. People who are so busy doing for God that they don't have time to know him and be with him. You know, people who are too busy volunteering to simply just be in a worship gathering or simply take time to sit quietly on a Saturday morning and rest with, with God. Behold our King, Jesus, God in the flesh, in the midst of busy ministry, bringing the kingdom needed to get away in the quiet. This is what traditionally Christians have called the practice of silence and solitude, which is simply space alone with God where you can, you can come to his word, but primarily to just process what's happened, what you're feeling in response to what happened. Hold your emotions, your anxieties, your desires before God and listen to him. We read the word pray, we might think like just Jesus had a big long list and he just went through it uh, like a prayer robot. And I'm sure he prayed for his disciples and the people he was healing, all that stuff. But this time, this lingering time in the solitary place with our father is more than just there to ask him for things, but it's to be with him. It's not always a spiritual spa day. Like sometimes in order to get to that refreshment, the Holy Spirit will bring up hard things, hard emotions, ugly things that you're trying really hard to avoid by being busy with church activities. But there's like, oh, there's some really ugly stuff in there that I need God to heal. I need to receive grace for. But as Jesus says in John 15, uh, apart from him, we can do nothing. We are invited to abide in him. And we see Jesus modeling that where we abide in the Father's love and we do out of that. We do out of our being with God. And look at verse 36 and 39. I think this is so funny. Simon and his companions went to look for him and they found him. They exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, driving out demons. Have you ever tried to get away on vacation uh, or something and remembered, you know, an email you didn't respond to or someone you're supposed to call back or some, you know, spreadsheet you're supposed to work on or something and, and you're like, ah, you know, I forgot. And back in the day, 
all your work was at the office and you're just like, bummer, I can't do it. But you know, the blessing and the curse of now is that you could pull out your phone and try to get it done. But I, I love it that it shows like Jesus didn't leave a note. He didn't like sit the disciples down and have a powwow and say like, all right, in the morning, I'm gonna get up early and go pray. He just left. Like he, he, I get the feeling like he was deep into the night healing all these people and was just like, I gotta go. I need a little bit of sleep and I just gotta get out of here. They didn't know where he was. Like, isn't that bad leadership, Jesus? Don't you need to communicate clearly to the people you're following? All, all this stuff. And just, can we just see Jesus is priority, that he just did it. And sometimes that's what you have to do for the health of your own soul. They had to go look for him. And the disciples are so pumped about all the hype. Like people are getting healed, demons are being cast out. There's all this exciting stuff. They're like, this is it, onward and upward. Let's ride the wave of the popularity. Everyone's looking for you. More people need you. But coming out of the quiet and stillness before the Father's loving gaze, Jesus is not swayed by the urgent. Instead, he has this groundedness, this clarity of calling. It's like, I must go on to other towns. This is why I've come out. There are legitimate needs, legitimate sick people that he could stay in Capernaum and heal, but he knows what he's called to do. He must go preach, that's why he's here. As Jesus' apprentices, we can see that just because there's a need, it does not necessarily mean we're called to do that thing. Just because we could do it does not necessarily mean that we should do it. Instead, our work is to know what God is calling us to do. And I would guess that we can almost never really do that if we're living frazzled and hurried without any space to be quiet, to quiet our souls and listen carefully to what God would have for us. We can't know that if we're just working really hard until we crash and then, you know, binging with some food in a show or if we're so busy doing stuff that we don't even stop to ask, God, is this what you would have me do? Is this what, is this what you've called me to do? This often plays out two ways in the life of an apprentice of Jesus that I've, I've seen I'm learning for myself. I, I love to do things. I love to be busy, have a full calendar onto the next thing. And I'm learning as I grow older that there are just more and more opportunities, really good ones that I have to say no to because of what God has called me to do. And if I'm not careful, if I don't carve out time to be alone with God, to be grounded in his love for me and what he's called me to do in the silence and stillness, then I find myself either overcommitting and being spread too thin we're walking around with this low-grade anger that I can't do more. That's all the stuff I want to do and I can't get to it. And all this stuff is in my way, missing out on the joys of the work right in front of me. I can, this is a terrible way to live. I can live more present to the things I can't do than the things that God has given me to do right in front of me. More present to this idolatrous vision of you know, Josh Unlimited International Incorporated than just the simple, good, glorious work that God has given me right in front of me. And on the other side, depending how you're wired, doing things might not sound like good news. Engaging and participating might sound like bad news. 
Camille and I always laugh about the line from the movie Inside Out where sadness says, why does it all have to be so interactive? And if you're around church, sometimes it feels that way. Like, why does everything have to be so interactive all the time? You know, all of our life is, is set up to maximize time in our house, on the couch, not being bothered. And, uh, you know, we might be anxious and depressed a little bit, but at least we're safe. And the invitation for us from Jesus in that place is to see that Jesus got alone with God. That's good news. You know, how, what does it look like to turn your couch into a place, a solitary place to be with God? But then what happened after that? He got to work. He moved with confidence, courage, clarity towards the work that God had given him to do. What I'm saying is silence and solitude can either be a brake pedal, slow you down from careening off a cliff like it does for me, or it can be a gas pedal. Give us courage and clarity on what, what we need to do to step into God's, God's work, God's kingdom work. If you struggle to know what to do, or you struggle to have the confidence to ask, like, I don't know if I can do it. Should I do that? Am I equipped for that? Consider silence and solitude as a chance to hear God say, you are my son, you are my daughter. I love you, you're safe, and I'm pleased with you. And we can come home to ourselves, come home to our identity as God's children and, and, and act. To summarize, being with God in silence and solitude naturally flows into being with God on his mission. And being with God on his mission requires us to be with him in silence and solitude. It comes for us no matter where we are on the energy level, personality pattern spectrum. And this pattern of Jesus's life, engaging in ministry, participating in God's work, and then withdrawing to be alone with God is, is, is just the, the rhythm you see all throughout the gospels. It's so powerful for us as we try to follow him today. Next, verse 40. So a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So as Jesus was going, we just read, what's he doing? He's walking throughout Galilee, preaching the gospel. He's on the road with his apprentices and a leopard comes to him. And we see, again, we see a miracle happening because of an interruption. He's just going about doing an ordinary task, like pre proclaiming the kingdom, preaching the gospel, and this interruption happened. And leprosy was a disease that uh, was very gross. It disfigured your face. It left open wounds on your flesh. Eventually, you would start to lose fingers or your nose or ears. Uh, but honestly, that probably wasn't the worst part of being a leopard because culturally, you were a literal, literal outcast. Like you had to wear a bell around your neck and shout out, unclean, unclean. You couldn't come within a certain distance to, uh, to healthy people. Uh, no one would touch you. Leprosy was a death sentence. Most people died from, uh, from leprosy, but it would take up to 10 years. Often it would take about 10 years of slow, 
painful, body falling apart stuff and devastating loneliness. Cut off from your friends, unable to hug your kids or your grandkids or embrace your spouse. And then you would die alone in a cave. The devastating situation. And what I love about this little story that we have is that the gospel of Mark, the, the author Mark, with all his immediately's, with all this fast-paced montage that we were walking through, at the, at the end of it, it's like he, he like slams on the brake and slows down and says what? Jesus moved with pity, stretched out his hand and touched him. Touched someone who probably hadn't been touched in years. We see Jesus' compassion here and that he moves towards the outcasts. Jesus moves towards the outsiders. Jesus' response to interruptions from outcasts, from the least of these, from people in repulsive life situations is compassion, is pity. The word translated pity here is also translated as compassion in other places. And it's one of my favorite Greek words, uh, splank nizomai. Uh, you guys say that? Splank nizomai. I like it because of the splonk. I was like that, that like kind of like guttural sound uh, or whatever. But it actually comes from the Greek word stomach. Splonknon is stomach. And it's this deep gut level tenderness towards suffering. Our English word compassion comes from a mashup of two Latin words, which means uh, to suffer with. And so here we see the King of Kings looking at someone in a repulsive life situation and feeling this tenderness deep in his gut to the point where he wanted to reach out and touch him. And in a, in a, in a time when it was thought that leprosy would contaminate and make, make the, the, the unsick person unclean, we see the opposite happen. That Jesus in his authority cleanses the unclean. Now, walking through the Gospels like this is one of my favorite things to do, uh, both in this setting and just in my own reading and, you know, with bros around coffee on the table early in the morning, anytime. Uh, it's how we learn to treasure Christ, like enter in with our imaginations and imagine being his apprentices in these stories. Uh, it's, it's so crucial. And I, I just have two invitations for you uh, this, this morning as we uh, consider what, what does it look like for us to follow Jesus? If you're like, yes, I want to follow Jesus more, what would it look like? Uh, well, the first one is silence and solitude. And to give it, give it a try this Saturday morning, Amy Worley, our connections director, came to me this week with a great idea, something that she's done in her triad, uh, which is to just facilitate a space for extended time with God. I don't know what silence and solitude sounds like for, to you. It's just, it's kind of the traditional term that Christians have used for this practice, but it's just unhurried time with God alone. Uh, and just because you're probably sick of hearing me talk, I want to invite Krista Michael up uh, to share a little bit. She's in Amy's triad and, and experimented with silence and solitude. And so we thought it'd be great to have her come and just share a little bit about what this has been like for her. Put your hands together for Kristen. Kristen. Um, I am in a triad with Amy and Kathy Gordon as well. Um, so recently in our triad, we were uh, studying about what, what it means, what it looks like to have this extended time with God. Um, and in the workbook that we're going through together, there was an article in there that kind of helped 
prep us for that time that I found very useful. It helped outline, you know, the importance of it, gave examples in scripture of other people that have done it, including Jesus himself and the benefits that come from that. Um, and it also provided a little bit of structure of how to kind of go in to that time. But I wanted to share a couple of quotes from that article that were um, personally convicting to me. One says that influencing people and changing events through prayer is well known among Christians, but too little practiced. And another one said the reason so many Christians are dead to opportunities is not because they are not mentally alert, but they are simply unprepared in heart. Preparation is made when we get alone with God. And so I think that we all would agree that prayer is a necessity, but it also is kind of difficult to find the time and the space in our lives that we would like to be able to give it. Um, as a mom of three little ones, it's not impossible, but very difficult to find that time of solitude um, in a day, especially an extended, an extended time. So I also wanted to share just briefly um, the kind of quick outline that they kind of gave us to follow, which I we did also practice this together as a triad, and um, so I tried to kind of go by this outline too. There's just three main parts. One is to wait on the Lord, um, to realize his presence and to worship him. Two, pray for others, and three, pray for yourself. Um, and so I, I would say that this time certainly needs to be planned. It's not something that just happens or we think, oh, it would be nice to do. Um, so, you know, you really need to look ahead in your schedule and, you know, write it down on there. In our triad, we, we found a date that worked together for all of us. And I also would recommend doing that, doing it with another person or two, if you can, um, so that it is scheduled and you have that accountability to follow through and to actually do it. Um, so what we did was we just took a couple of hours. We met here at the church. We started together. We prayed together for a little bit, and then we all split up in our own little areas, and um, we had our own focused time with the Lord. And um, for me, it was just really great to have the opportunity just to slow down and just to be quiet and to be still, not to have noise, <laughs> distractions, things around you. Um, so I think for me, that was just mostly what I took away from it was just making that space to, to slow down and to be still. Um, I didn't feel like I came away from that time with any real big groundbreaking, you know, new insights or direction from the Lord. And even though that, I think that can feel a little bit disappointing and discouraging. You feel like, oh, I took this time, but it didn't feel super productive. But that's, I think, when we need to challenge our perspective. You know, it's not what are we going to get out of it, but um, it's, it's being obedient to the Lord. It's doing a practice that Jesus himself showed us how to do. And I also read something else this morning that I think gives us good perspective, that a right view of God leads to a right view of self. And it's really difficult to get that perspective in the busyness of life. So taking that time to be able to just sit and um, get those priorities straight is really beneficial and something I hope that I can continue doing with some regularity. Wonderful. That's right. 
Love that. Love the beauty of that and just the, uh, the showing up to it. And that's one of the, the secrets of silence and solitude is that you're not there to make anything happen. You're there to just put yourself before the Father who loves you. Uh, and so we're gonna do a similar thing to what Kristen described. Amy's gonna facilitate this Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 11.30, uh, just a time here in the building to, uh, to connect uh, with God. We'll do a little like huddle before, you know, 15 minutes before, 15 minutes on the end, and you'll find a cozy spot. Uh, to, to be alone and just have two, two hours of uninterrupted time with God uh, if, you're, if you're available. I encourage you to make time. You'll, uh, you should receive a flyer on the way out that just kind of has more details about that, kind of the first shot across the bow uh, of, of what, it, what it means to do silence and solitude to get away with God in, um, in, in the quiet. Uh, so if you feel hungry for God, if you feel lost you know, in life, kind of like out of touch, with, with yourself and with, with God, then it's, it's a great way uh, to, to make some space to, to hear from God. So I'm kind of trying to model these invitations after uh, Jesus uh, Jesus's dynamic. And so one is kind of a practice of in, uh, disengaging or withdrawing to be with God. And the other one is to engage. I uh, invite you to, uh, as Amy talked about, jump in with our kids' church ministry on Sunday mornings. Uh, when I first told uh, the pastor of my church years ago, like, I want to be a pastor, and I was expecting to get to ask to preach and stuff, he was, like, wholly unimpressed at, when I was, like, 22, and was like, why don't you just serve in the kids' ministry for a while? And uh, there was one time I showed up to serve in the kids' ministry, and I was just kind of stressed and grumpy, uh, wrestling with some things going on in my life at the time, and, you know, kind of throwing myself a pity party, like, here I am serving with the kids when I wish I was in the gathering to get filled up and stuff. But uh, during, during the playtime, I was helping this little girl build a castle out of blocks, and another little boy kind of blazed through and smashed the, the castle, and of course the girl got upset. But I was able to talk her down, help her rebuild it. Uh, but, you know, a couple minutes later, that same little boy uh, came through and smashed it again, and she just lost it, total meltdown. And there was just like this intense moment where I'm like seeing this girl melting down the pile of blocks, myself. I could see her despair over the block castle falling apart. And as an adult, I could also see that, know that in five minutes, we're going to do snack time and tell a story and she's going to be fine. And this castle isn't that big of a deal. And I just felt so clearly in that moment, God tenderly, almost humorously saying like, that's how you are to me, my son. You're angsty about all this stuff in your life, but it's just a block, a, a block castle. And I'm telling the story of your life. I know that it's going to be fine. Your stress right now is, is small. I felt so loved and seen in that moment. You know, I was there to serve, to help the kids, to, you know, do all the things you're supposed to do in kids' ministry or whatever, but, I, but God met me in that moment. And, and I guess this is the flip side. There's an invitation to, to grow and serve and pour yourself out, but the beauty of how God works in the life of a Jesus follower is that he meets you as you're serving and will show his love to you as you serve. He will bless you as you seek to be a blessing. And so, as Amy said, in this season of life as a church family, our Sunday morning 1030 Kids Church is kind of the number one priority to have that be a, a, a well-run, a welcoming place for, for people. And it's gonna take a family effort. No one person or staff member is going to be able to do that because we wanna be a church family that can welcome other families into our community. And so 
invite you to, to visit the check, kids' check-in station after the gathering um, and, and, and to see what God might do as you meet him and engaging uh, with, with our kiddos. And I just wanna close acknowledging that the place we see Jesus's compassion and authority most clearly is when he was nailed to a cross to make a way for us to know no life with God. He did it in love because of deep compassion for you. He's, he's made a way for us to, to walk with him as his apprentices. Let me pray. Father, we praise you for Jesus. Thank you for this time that we have this morning to just soak in who he is, what he's done, what he's said, and what it means for our life. Father, would you have mercy on us in our, um, in our need to grow, uh, in our need to be healed by Jesus and as we walk uh, as his apprentices? Father, would you, would you just make it clear where parts of our lives are not aligned with the way of Jesus, where we have crowded, out, uh, crowded you out from our schedules, where we've not made space to, uh, to receive from you and not made space to, to give to others as we've received from you? And would this just be good news that there's, there's places to connect with you, to feel your love uh, in, in the real minutes and hours and days of our lives? And will we be people that are, that are marked by um, our compassionate King, that we'd feel his compassion, we'd be changed by it, and we'd pass it on to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K A R L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC podcast.